0: Good morning church family it's good to see you here today it's good to have you online it's good to get together during these December Sundays as we look forward to, to this morning and special times together of celebrating the Lord celebrating Christ in his birth but also celebrating the realization of our salvation because Jesus came He died and he rose again and saved us from our sin. Forever and ever and ever, we say, thank you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. We worship you. But it's a strange thing that Jesus would come as a baby. Uh, We grew up, many of us, used to hearing that story. Um, For many, accepting, believing it, changing our lives. But sometimes, if we don't read it afresh, we think, well, this is normal. And guess what? It's not. For God to come in the most helpless of ways is the most unnormal thing there is. In fact, for many, it's foolishness. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us, I bet you know the verse, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. We marvel at this babe that has come to save us and, and for the world that they just look at it, this, what are you talking about? This is strange, what, why would this be? But our lives proved that it is the truth when we live for the Lord, and it proves that it has changed us forever. Let's take a minute to bow our heads and just praise God for the marvel and the wonder of Christmas time and what that baby did. It's true father as your word says that the world looks at you and your ways as very different very strange and in many cases they attempt to mock you and to make fun of you and our beliefs in you but it doesn't matter the world's never got it right once and they never will the ones that turn to you Lord are the ones that are blessed the ones that know truth because it set us free And, Lord, you are the one that awakens us to your ways and your thoughts. We thank you for it, and we praise you for it. Thank you for this gathering today, Lord. May we be blessed together in your name. Amen. Let's stand and sing, dear church. Me this, I believe it, but figuratively speaking, I can't believe what you did for me. I can't believe that you love me. I can't believe that you changed me and transformed me. I adore you for that. I love you, and I rest in your arms, and I, I hide beneath the shadow of your wings. I love you, Lord. That's the response that we need when we hear the precious name of Jesus Christ. He's the joy of the highest heaven.
1: morning Um, if you happen to be here with us for the first time welcome we're so glad that you're here with us Uh, we do encourage you after the morning service is to go back to our connection corner and uh, there's information about our church maybe you've watched us online Uh, maybe you're just here because of the holiday season whatever the case we encourage you to come back into the connection corner get some information about our church would love to visit with you and meet you Uh, Just by way of announcements, just a few things here. Um, There is, in in this um, room here, there's usually a Sunday School class, uh, Greg's class. Um, So during the Sunday School hour, this room needs to be emptied out. Um, So if you are normally in that class, you're going to go back um, by the kitchen area. Um, Lloyd and Greg's class are going to combine for the uh, morning. Um, same school hour because in this room there's going to be practice for um, the uh, Christmas program. Um, by the way, that Christmas program is next Sunday. I do have that right, Don, right? Next Sunday. Okay, good. <laughs> Just checking on that. Uh, but uh, yes, that will be next Sunday, and uh, we are looking forward to that, uh, seeing what uh, the kids have been working on. So we encourage you, of course, to come back for that if you can. Um, how many of you were excited about the snow this morning? Oh, there's a few hands. All right. Good. Good. I I don't know what it is about snow. I I, I don't like shoveling it. I don't necessarily like driving it, but I like seeing it. Somehow it just says Christmas. Um, You know, when you see that snow and you know Christmas is approaching. Um, Having said that and having mentioned our Christmas uh, program coming up, be in prayer for all the different Christmas programs through uh, all the different churches that are going to be doing it, all the different Christian schools that are going to be doing it. Be in prayer for all those different Christians. Uh, those Christmas services. It's a great time of year uh, to share the love of Christ with people, and we certainly hope that um, uh, many would come to Christ as a result of this time of the year. So please be in prayer for that and, of course, our own Christmas program here. Um I think that's about all the announcements I need to make, so I'll turn it over to Don. Let's stand together for prayer.
2: Father, it is a joy to be here this morning together. We thank you for the opportunity. We thank you for the worship in music as we sing of... The truth that you sent your son so that he might be that savior of the world. Emmanuel, God with us. And Father, we indeed have come together this morning to worship you. We certainly worship you as the one who sits upon the throne in heaven, the sovereign one who is in control of all things. Father, we also worship you as the one who is very much right now in our presence. You are here with us. As your church gathers together, we are your temple, your dwelling place. And Though we cannot see you in our midst, it is nonetheless just as real and just as true. Impress that upon our hearts and minds this morning that you are indeed with us as we worship you. I pray, Father, that we would worship you as the one who is here in the fullness of your person. You are here in the fullness of your power. You are here in the fullness of all of your characteristics, your holiness, your righteousness, your love, your grace, but yes, even your justice. And I pray, Father, that each of us would worship you in truth, knowing who you are, worshiping you in spirit, understanding the truths of your word so that we might apply them to our lives. And Father, we. Recognize also that you've commanded us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together Certainly we come together to worship, but your word tells us to come together also to encourage one another To stir up one another to love and to good works And I pray that we would do that as we Interact with one another as we fellowship with one another this morning that we might be that encouragement to our brothers and sisters in Christ And as we come to your word this morning, we are reminded Your thoughts and your ways are so much higher than ours. We don't always understand what you're doing. Sometimes what you're doing is confusing to us. Sometimes it seems very strange. Even as we've sung this morning the the coming of Christ, you could have done it perhaps in a different way, at least to our way of thinking. Yet you've done it in the perfect way. Father, remind us in our own lives that sometimes what you're doing may seem strange to us, but it is your perfect way, your perfect will, because your thoughts and ways are higher than ours. Help us to know that. Help us to trust in you. Help us to wait upon you. We thank you, Father, for your blessings upon us as a church. We continue to ask that you would do so as we would look to Christ, the head of the church, and through this Christmas season, we do indeed pray our christmas program next sunday and for our christmas eve service and and even the service on christmas day pray father that you would be glorified that we'd be strengthened in our faith and that those who do not know christ as their savior would be confronted with the reality that christ came to die for our sins and that we needed a savior and it's in jesus name we pray amen thank you you may be seated
3: This is Christ, the King who shares.
0: Thank you, ladies. love that Christmas Carol. Love Christmas songs. Thank you for the reminder. What child is this? So we're singing a non-Christmas song next, but it's a song I couldn't help but pass up here, and I'll play a, a verse through to remind us of the melody. This song I am not skilled to understand as we think about what we're hearing this morning, we're going to hear in the message as well. Verse three says that he should leave his place on high and come for sinful man to die." You counted strange, so once did I, before I knew my Savior. The meeting with Jesus Christ changes everything when we're saved, and it is no longer strange. It is a wonderful belief to hold and praise Him for. Let's stand and
4: sing together.
5: But this is such a strange way to save the world. Age wave to save the world, this is such a
2: Turn with me, please, to Isaiah chapter 55. In that song which Daniel just sang, Joseph looked at himself, looked at Mary, he looked at his surroundings in a stable, baby laying in a manger, he makes that statement, what a strange way to save the world. As we read through scripture, it seems that one thing we learn is that often God does what seems strange to us. He does the unexpected, the unusual, that which even can be confusing. I saw a book recently entitled The Insanity of God. I haven't read the book, but the title got my attention. Some of you have read books by Paul Tripp. In one of his books, he makes this statement, God will confuse you. Sometimes God does the unusual, the counterintuitive. It makes no sense to our finite minds. And that's no more true than in the entire Christmas story. This morning we want to look at some of the strange things God did as it relates to sending his son to save the world. It was a strange way. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for the truth of the Christmas story that you did indeed send your son to save the world. But to our finite minds, what you do often seems very strange, even confusing. Pray that we would learn to trust you, your thoughts, and your ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Most of us are familiar with Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Certainly, we understand that reality. Our minds are finite. He is infinite, and so his thoughts and ways are going to be much higher than ours, but As we're familiar with these verses, are we familiar with the context in which these verses are written? In the context of Isaiah 55, God is calling his people Israel to repentance. And as he calls them to repentance, he is warning them through his prophets that if there is no repentance, there will be judgment. And so he comes to to verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. It's a call to repentance, and he calls them to repentance now because judgment is coming. Repent while you have that chance. Repent while you have that opportunity because judgment is coming. Then he says in verse 7, Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts And let him return on the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. He says, in your repentance, you need to repent of your wicked ways. You need to repent of your unrighteous thoughts. Because God's thoughts are higher than your thoughts. God's ways are higher than your ways. Your ways are wicked your thoughts are unrighteous. God's are never wicked and unrighteous. His thoughts are always right. His thoughts are always good. His ways are always good. And therefore, we fall short of the standard in our thoughts and in our ways. And we need to repent of those thoughts and ways. Because we fall, short, we fall short, so far short of God's thoughts and ways. then he says, if you repent, I will have compassion on you. I will have mercy on you. I will pardon you. I will forgive you. He gives us right here an example of how his thoughts and ways are so much higher than our ways. Because if someone does evil against me, my inclination is to repay evil with evil. But God's thoughts, God's ways are so much higher than mine. When I do evil against him, his inclination is not to repay me evil with evil like man's inclination is. God's inclination is to have compassion. God's inclination is to forgive and to pardon. His thoughts are so much higher than our thoughts. His ways are so much higher than our ways. He does what is unexpected. He's not like me. He's not like you in thoughts and ways. It's so much higher. He'll have compassion. He'll forgive. Man wants to take vengeance. Man wants to repay evil with evil. God is so different. And though in this context, again, God's calling Israel to repentance from their wicked ways and their their unrighteous thoughts, and he promises compassion and forgiveness, which is so unlike man, And not what we would expect. And that's the context. This repentance and and compassion and forgiveness. But it is a general statement. God's thoughts and ways are higher than our ways. Not just in this context. But in every context. In every way. God's thoughts and ways are higher than ours. It's a general statement. Sometimes God does what seems strange to us. Because in our finite mind. It's confusing. Doesn't make sense. In fact, sometimes we're tempted to say, God, are you crazy? The insanity of God? It makes no sense. Can you imagine Joshua when he's about to fight the battle of Jericho? And God says to Joshua, Joshua, here's what you need to do. You need to march around Jericho once every day for 6 days. On the 7th day, march around it 7 times and then blow your trumpet. And No, well, that's that's it, Joshua. Just blow your trumpet. God, are you crazy? <laughs> what kind of battle strategy is that? Or Gideon? Gideon, I want you to take your 300 men against this, this massive Midianite army. I want you to take your torches, light your torch, put a clay pot over your torch, and then when I tell you to, blow your trumpet. Trumpets get involved quite often in God's battle strategy, it seems. Blow your trumpet, smash the pot. And well, that, that's pretty much it, Gideon. What kind of crazy battle strategy is that? times what God does is confusing. God often does the unexpected. Often what he does seems strange and confusing to us. And that again as I said is no more true than in the whole Christmas story. Think about the lineage of Christ. Begins all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. After Adam and Eve sinned God said to, to Adam and Eve that There would be one who would come of the seed of the woman to crush the head of Satan. A deliverer, a savior would come to crush the head of Satan, but it would be of the seed of the woman. Not as we would expect, the seed of the woman and the man, but just the seed of the woman. That right away clues us in that something kind of different here, something kind of strange. So God promises that a deliverer, a savior would come of the seed of the woman, not a man and a woman as we would expect. And then centuries later, God chooses Abraham. Through the seed of Abraham, this deliverer, this savior would come. Abraham from the city of Ur of the Chaldeans, one of the most advanced and one of the most pagan cities of the time. Why would God choose Abraham from this pagan city of the Chaldeans? That makes no sense. And as you continue through that, that lineage, think of Abraham. and Then you come to Isaac, Abraham's son. But not his eldest son, as you would expect, but his youngest son, Isaac. Ishmael was the oldest son, and, and Abraham even pleaded with God to accept Ishmael. God said, no, it's going to be your younger son, Isaac. And then Isaac has two sons, Esau and Jacob. Guess what? You would expect Esau, the eldest. God says, no, it's going to be Jacob. Jacob, the one whose very name means deceiver. The one whose very name means trickery manipulation, and his life was full of manipulation and and trickery and deception. That's the one through whom this deliverer is going to come? And then Jacob has 12 sons. Now it gets really confusing. (laughs) You would think the eldest son, Reuben, that would be the one through whom the deliverer, the Savior, would come, but no. In fact, Jacob even seemed to sense that Reuben's not the one, his 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 life was messed up. And so Jacob, he kind of realized perhaps that God wasn't going to choose Reuben, so Jacob chooses who? Joseph. Certainly Joseph will be the one through whom the Deliverer would come. He's the most spiritual of my twelve sons. He'll be the one. God says no, Judah. Judah. Probably the if not the last, one of the last ones that you would think Judah was, he was messed up. Remember this story of Judah? At one time, Judah solicited a prostitute. Unbeknownst to him, that one who he thought was a prostitute was his daughter-in-law. His daughter-in-law tricked him, and that's a whole nother messed up story. We won't get into that, but, but just Jacob solicited a prostitute. Who he thought was a prostitute, but it was his daughter-in-law. And after having relations with her, she conceives and has a son. Son's name is Perez. The deliverer, the Savior, was going to come through the seed of Perez, who himself was the product of, of what, for all intents and purposes, was an incestuous relationship. Really, God? Are you crazy? Speaking of prostitutes, Rahab, a Canaanite prostitute. The deliverer would come through her seed. And then speaking of one who wasn't even Jewish, a Canaanite prostitute, we have Ruth, a Moabitess woman. And then we come down to David. David was chosen by God, but remember when when Samuel comes to the house of Jesse, David was the the one of eight brothers. And Jesse, his father, brings seven of those brothers before Samuel as Samuel is going to look them over and and see which one God is choosing to be the king and then to ultimately be in the seed of this Savior and this deliverer. And Jesse brings his seven sons. God says, nope, 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 nope. Samuel looks at Jesse and says, well, do you have any other sons? And Jesse was like, yeah, we got one. It's David. He's out taking care of the sheep. Jesse wasn't even going to bring David before Samuel. It can't be him. God chooses David. David really messes up later on in his life. He takes another man's wife. Bathsheba makes sure that her husband gets killed in battle, takes her as his wife, has a son named Solomon. That's messed up. But God brings his Savior, his Deliverer, through the line of David and Solomon. God will confuse you at times. And then speaking of who he chooses, what about the choice of Mary? You wouldn't expect that, would you? You're going to bring, at this time now, it's understood that this deliverer, this savior, is going to be through, of course, that that line of Abraham and Israel, and and he's going to be the king of the Jews if you're going to bring the king of the Jews into the world, aren't you going to choose a woman who is, is of, of, of a high position and, and some, some fame and, and some, some means? No, he chooses a poor, lowly woman from Nazareth. Not somebody famous, not somebody of, of means, not somebody of prestige and, and position, but just a lowly teenage girl from Nazareth. In Nazareth. Again, you're bringing the king of the Jews into the world. Aren't you going to pick a woman from Jerusalem? Isn't he going to be born in Jerusalem where the kings were born? Nazareth? Nazareth was up in Galilee. Galilee was known as as the Galilee of the nations. Up in Galilee, it had been greatly populated by Gentiles. And the Jews that were up in Galilee, which Nazareth was in Galilee, those Jews were looked down upon by the ones down in, in Judea and Jerusalem. They looked down upon the, the, the Jews that were up in Galilee of the nations. They had been corrupted by the Gentiles. They were unclean, dwelling up there in, the, in Galilee of the nations. That's why when, when Philip came to Nathanael and said, I found the Messiah and it's Jesus of Nazareth? Remember Nathanael's response? That can't be right. Nazareth? Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. Why would God choose Mary from Nazareth to bear the king of the Jews? That's not how I would have done it. Not what we would expect, God does the unexpected. Again, you think of the location, Israel. God chose to bring this savior, this deliverer, his son, the king of the Jews, he he, he chose to, to bring that deliverer through this nation, Israel. Why Israel? Why not Babylon? Why not Persia? Why not Egypt? These were the the power nations of the world. These were the the big guys. Israel? This this little itty-bitty country, nation of Israel, about the size of New Jersey... I'm tempted to say something about New Jersey, Eddie, but I, I won't. I'll, I'll move on. This little nation, Israel, not a not a powerhouse, not like Egypt, not like Babylon, not like Persia. They had great empires. God chooses Israel. In Deuteronomy chapter seven, verse seven. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you because you were more in number than any people, for you were the fewest in number of all people. That's not what you would expect. God does the unexpected. God does what sometimes just seems irrational. And then Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Again, you would think he'd be born in Jerusalem. That's where kings are born. In Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, it's prophesied that this king, this savior, this deliverer, would be born in Bethlehem. But you, Bethlehem of Ephrata, though you be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel. Bethlehem. Little among the thousands of Judah, God chooses Bethlehem. God often chooses the littlest, the fewest, the smallest, the poorest, the weakest, the foolish. And he chooses those, we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, so that no man can boast. God doesn't do it like man would expect. God doesn't do things like I would do them. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways higher than our ways. And then we have this manger. Mary and Joseph are from Nazareth. It's been prophesied that this Savior, this Deliverer, this King of the Jews is going to be born in Bethlehem. How do you get Joseph and Mary up in Nazareth down to Bethlehem? He uses the decree of a pagan king. You've got to go to Bethlehem to register. So, being pregnant, she has to make this this 90 mile trip down to Bethlehem because of this pagan king's decree. God uses it to get them to Bethlehem. And now, he's born in Bethlehem. In a stable. Laid in a manger. Why, God, couldn't he be born in a palace someplace? Why couldn't he, at the very least, be born in the comforts of his own mother's home? In a stable? For a manger? A feeding trough as a bed? Indeed, that seems like a strange way to save the world. And then, wouldn't you expect that once this Savior has come, It's been 4,000 years since that first promise in Genesis chapter 3. And there's been that remnant throughout those 4,000 years who have been anticipating and looking forward to this Savior coming, this Deliverer, the one who's going to crush the head of Satan. And then various prophecies concerning this, this coming Messiah, the anointed one from God, the King of the Jews. He gets born in a stable in Bethlehem. Not in the comforts of his mother's home. But you would think that the announcement would come and that that birth would be heralded in the streets. It would be proclaimed in the palaces, that it would just be made known broadly. But how does God do it? God doesn't announce it to the kings in the palaces. God doesn't announce it to the the priest in the temple. He doesn't announce it to the religious leaders in the synagogues. He announces it to some shepherds out in the field in the middle of the night. That makes no sense, God. The creator of the universe has just come to dwell with the creature. God has just come to dwell with man, Emmanuel, God with us. Don't you scream that and shout that from the rooftops? Don't you announce that in the palaces and in the temple and the synagogues? No, just some lowly shepherds out in the field. He didn't choose to announce the birth of the Savior to kings, to priests, or religious leaders, but to lowly shepherds in the field. And then, what about the wise men? The Magi. They're about 600 miles to the east of Israel. They're Gentiles. Some believe they were Medes, but they were from the area of Babylon, basically. Um, Many believe that they were were a priestly caste. Very possible. How how did they, you know, they, they saw this star what's this star all about? How did did that fit into the picture? How did they know anything about the king of the Jews and this star? Well, these these wise men, these magi, first of all, they would have been astronomers. They would have studied the the stars and the heavens and the constellations and so forth. and and, and They would have had access to the, the Jewish scriptures, at least to a certain extent. They probably had a copy of the Pentateuch first five books of the Bible, and they they certainly would have had some copies of Daniel, because Daniel was one of them, 500 years earlier, but he was one of them, one of the the wise men of Babylon, and so they would have had access to some of those scriptures, so they would have studied those scriptures, and through Daniel, they would have had somewhat of an idea as to when this king of the Jews should be born. Daniel does kind of spell that out, when, when he would be coming, not a precise date, but, but a general idea. But this star, what, what was that all about? You've heard me say before, I believe the the star that the wise men saw was the glory of God. Remember when the angels came to the shepherds and they announced the birth of, of, of the Savior? That it says, the glory of the Lord shone round about them. Well, I think when the glory of the Lord shone round about the shepherds, 600 miles to the east, the wise men saw that glory as a star. And they, having studied the stars and the constellations and, and astronomy and so forth, they would have seen that star. That's something different. That's something new. That, that doesn't belong there. We've never seen that before. And they would have put that together as... as because again, they probably would have understood that about the time this is the time when this king of the Jews should be born, and they saw that star as a representation of the king of the Jews being born, the glory of God. But, but what would have made them think that a star would announce that, alert them to that? Well, back in Numbers chapter 22. Excuse me, chapter 24, Balaam, prophet, makes this statement there shall come a star out of Jacob. They probably would have had a copy of the Pentateuch, Numbers. They maybe would have known this, this prophecy of Balaam: out of, out of uh, a star shall come out of Jacob. And so thinking that it's about the time for, for this. King of the Jews to be born, and they see this this star that doesn't belong there. It's something new. They maybe would have put that together with this prophecy from Balaam. Some of what I'm saying here is speculation, but let me just spell it out this way. Remember Balaam? He was a prophet of God. Someplace along the way, he got corrupted. He became a prophet for hire. He was a corrupted Gentile prophet. Yet God uses his prophecy to alert some Gentile priest 600 miles away, 1,500 years later, uses that, that prophecy from this, this corrupt Gentile prophet to alert these Gentile priests that the king of the Jews is born. That's just downright strange. <laughs> That's just unusual. Unusual. That's not how I would have done it. I would have, at very least, used a a Jewish prophet. And I would have alerted some Jewish priest, not some corrupt Gentile prophet. Remember Balaam? I mean, he was so corrupt, God had to use a donkey to talk to him. He was messed up. God uses that prophecy to alert the wise men, Gentiles. The birth of the king of the Jews. So God chose to use the prophecy of a corrupt Gentile prophet, Balaam, to alert Gentile priests, 1,500 years later, 600 miles away, to the birth of the king of the Jews. So what's the point? What's all of this tell us? God's thoughts and ways often seem to man to be counterintuitive and irrational, even crazy at times. Sometimes, as God works in our lives, we might be tempted to say, God, are you crazy? Are you out of your mind? God's not out of his mind. He's out of our mind. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. We can't always make sense of it. Sometimes it's confusing. Sometimes it just seems downright crazy. You know Christ was born in the home of Joseph and Mary. Joseph and Mary had some other children. We read in Scripture that there were some other children of Joseph and Mary, his brothers and sisters, uh, technically half-brothers and sisters. Can you imagine growing up as a brother or a sister, of a, a, a one who was perfect and sinless and holy? Now, if you want to know what it's like to be a brother to a perfect, sinless one, just talk to Kevin and Leland. <laughs> no, on secondhand, don't talk to them. <laughs> Growing up with a, with, a, with a brother who's perfect and sinless, never did anything wrong. Oh, you know, Jesus, he thinks he's always right. Well, yeah. Mom and dad think their little Jesus can do no wrong yeah (laughs) but as they would grow and mature and they would have seen that sinlessness and that perfection, that holiness you would have thought that they would have come to a point and say, wow, he really must be the Messiah just like mom and dad said he, he really must be the Messiah he really must be the king of the Jews look at him, he's sinless, he's perfect That's not what they saw at all. We're told in Mark chapter 3 that at one point his family actually tried to come and get Jesus and pull him away from the multitude. Why? Because he was out of his mind. He was crazy. That's how they saw it. That's the point. In our sinlessness, with our finite minds, we're so accustomed to sin, we're so used to sin... When we see sinlessness, when we see holiness, we think it's crazy. That's insanity. We're so used to our sin and our way of thinking and our thoughts and in, in ways of doing things that when we see perfection, when we see holiness, when we see that which is sinless, we think it's crazy. That's what Jesus' family thought now later on. They did come to believe, at least some of them did. Jesus' own family saw him in his perfection and in his sinlessness as one who was crazy. You know, as you look at any one of these things that we've seen this morning as as the Christmas story develops from Genesis chapter 3, you look at any one of those things and, and it just doesn't seem right. It's unexpected. It just seems strange. But with the advantage of hindsight, and we now have the full picture, it begins to make sense. Some of what God did and that seemed just so strange and unusual, and it's not the way we would have done it, but, but once you get the whole picture, and once you get the, the whole um, thing played out, it kind of starts to make some sense. My point is this, whatever God is doing in your life today, it may not make sense. It may be really confusing. You might be ready to write that book, The Insanity of God. But trust Him. When all is said and done, when we have the full picture of It'll make sense. It'll come together. We just need to trust him. Any one thing that we've looked at this morning concerning the birth of Christ considered by itself seems irrational, but seen as a whole, the Christmas story makes sense. And the same is true in your life this morning. Trust God. He knows what he's doing. He will take that which seems irrational and counterintuitive and just makes no sense to us. It looks like it's crazy. Wait on him. Trust him. He will bring it together and it will make sense and it will be perfect. The Christmas story is perfect. Poor Mary having to make that trip down to Bethlehem when she's pregnant. That makes no sense but it's Perfect. Perfect. Born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem means the house of bread. The bread of life. Born in the house of bread. That makes some sense. Once we have the whole picture. Whatever God's doing in your life today, it may not make much sense. It may be very confusing. God will confuse you but trust him he will make sense of it all he knows what he's doing let's bow in prayer Father we're so grateful for your word for this reminder this morning that we are right now trapped in these finite minds can't possibly understand all that you're doing as we've sung this morning I am not skilled to understand what you do is often very strange give us the faith to trust you To just know that what you're doing makes sense in the end. And you'll do what is right. You'll do what is best. And we can trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Think about what God might be doing in your life. If we can help you in any way, please let us know. We'd love to sit down with you and take you to further scripture just to encourage you in God's will. Shall we stand? Again, Father, we thank you for how you have worked out the details of bringing your son into the world to save may have been done differently than what we would have expected it has been done perfectly may we trust you in jesus name we pray amen good morning may
4: god bless you